I am thrilled to be back hosting Weekly Havoc this week. I felt like a negligent father the past month uh, because Vet Rep was very busy. I had to do a lot of stuff there. I knew it was going to be hard for me to host the shows uh, during November. So thank you to Charlie Faint for covering down and hosting those shows uh, for us. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed them. I was uh, quietly jealous that he was getting to truck on with it, but I was thrilled to be back to do uh, this week's episode. And this week was a fun one. Uh, We had done an episode on masculinity in the military a while ago. So I'd always wanted to do an episode on femininity in the military, but this one took on a little bit of a different color. It wasn't just about women in the military per se, but it was really about femininity. What are the valuable feminine qualities um, in the military? What are the unhelpful feminine qualities in the military? Um, We had Lonnie Hankins on who spoke uh, eloquently and articulately about uh, the broken sisterhood and the way women turn on each other in the military. We had Lori Butieres on who gives a really moving description of her inspiration for joining her mother and her mother's experience in an even tougher time for women to be in the military. And, um, and then of course we had Dex on former Marine MP, um, and current poet, uh, amongst other things. And it was great to hear how the military had made each of them in their assessments, a better woman, but certainly as a trial by fire in a lot of cases, more than just a, you know, slow, gentle unfolding of uh, their feminine qualities. So uh, really interesting stories, interesting experiences, and articulately presented. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in a roundtable discussion with the staff, writers, and friends of Havoc Journal. Try to make a little order out of chaos. Dex is a United States Marine Corps veteran, where she served as a military police officer for five years. Since then, she has become a professional mom, an amateur powerlifter, a full-time student, writer, and a volunteer with the veterans organization Patrol Base Abate. Lonnie Hankins served in the Army for six years as an automated logistical specialist. During that time, she completed one combat deployment to Afghanistan, became a member of a female engagement team, worked as a supply and dispatch clerk for 1-4 CAV, and later joined the reserves. After the military, Lonnie completed a Master of Arts degree in business and communication. She is also the host of the Cruise Corner blog and podcast. That's Cruise Corner with a K. Uh, not for corner cruise corner. I should say that's actually more confusing. Alani, when I first said that, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be a nice, easy way to say this. And now I'm realizing I'm just walking into quicksand. Uh, but anyway, cruise corner, she shares the struggles of military life and the transition process. And through writing, podcasting and art, Lonnie uses her mental health struggles, trauma, and the loss of fellow buddies to suicide as a motivation to join the fight against veteran suicide, not only to show support for the veteran and military communities, but to ensure that the ones we lose are never forgotten. She is also an author of three books that cover military life, transition, and domestic violence. Lori Butieres is a full-time caregiver to two children with disabilities. She uses her life experiences and the medical knowledge she gained 
from serving as a hospital corpsman in the United States Navy to help others facing similar hardships. Lori is also an author at the Havoc Journal. She's an official columnist for Aware Now magazine, and she's a contributor to The Mighty. Likewise, other news sites like MSN and Yahoo News have also republished select articles Lori has written. She's also a children's literature author. Her debut picture book, Gift from God, was self-published at the beginning of 2021 and placed as a finalist in two categories in the 2021 Next Generation Indie Book Awards. Ladies, thank you all for being here. Happy to be here. <laughs> I probably should have like asked you guys for like uh, like said thank you after each one of those intros, and I didn't. I left it all for a free for all at the end. But um, seriously, I'm really glad you guys were here. Um, as as I kind of explained, I think to all of you before the show, you know, we did a, an episode on masculinity in the military uh, about a month or two ago, and we wanted to do one on femininity in the military, not just because it's, you know, obviously a reciprocal subject, but also um, I, I was actually reading Lonnie's book um, or one of Lonnie's books uh, recently. And um, it brought up a lot of things. I was talking with Dex and Dex brought up a bunch of issues. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of uncharted territory in the minds of the average layman and the average military observer, even the average military member, that, that, that um, uncharted territory when it comes to the issue of femininity in the military. And I want to define my terms a little carefully. So like, like a bad, a bad wedding toast, I'm going to quote the dictionary. And femininity, as Oxford Dictionary defines it, is the qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of women. So more than just uh, talking about women in the military per se, I wanted to make sure that we talk about the qualities um, typically associated with women and the value added that that brings both to the battlefield, the garrison, and to individuals. So I want to start a little personally. And Lonnie, I wanted to start with you and talk a little bit about the, your motivation for enlisting. And I want to look at that through a particular lens um, of femininity. As a woman, how much were you in touch with your own femininity? When you enlisted, did you foresee that your femininity would be challenged, improved, clarified, sharpened? Did you even contemplate that? And what was, um, what was that jump in the pool like when you decided to actually enlist and go ship off to basic? I think, I mean, I grew up a tomboy, so I didn't really feel like I was in touch with that side. And so I thought, oh, the army will be great because I like playing with GI Joes and stuff like that. That's totally me. And so I thought this is where I'll fit in because I didn't fit in in school with the other girls and stuff like that. So I thought, okay, male dominated job, I'll do fine because those are my buddies on the outside. But then when I got in, I realized they they see that you're a woman. So you're already kind of you already have that going against you because I was in a cav unit. So uh, I hid my femininity because it was almost seen as uh, you're a weak link. And so you had to get in touch with that masculine side because it was part of survival for me. So I think I really detached from that to go in because, I mean, I joined for a lot of the reasons that people do. Like I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be able to financially take care of myself uh, my family had been in the military, so I thought I'm going to follow my dad's footsteps, my grandparents. But uh, 
But yeah, I don't feel like the femininity was really a thing for me because of being around a bunch of guys. And so you had to cut that part off. So you kind of lose a bit of yourself, even though I wasn't really like in touch with that part of me. Uh, but then when I got out, I really just wanted to be a girl. Like I just uh, really wanted to bring back because it was like I played that male part for so long. It was like I really just want to like be what I wasn't allowed to be because I chose to not be that before the military, but then I felt forced to be it in it. And so got out and it's like, all right, I'm going to be the woman I want to be. <laughs> so there was like a real hunger to embrace kind of the more feminine yes. side when you got out. Yeah. yeah. Lori, what about you? Uh, for me, my mother was in the Navy, um, actually both parents, but in particular is true of my reason for joining is I really admired my mom. Um, she didn't really care for that. She thought it was dumb and, and said as much. <laughs> and uh, I, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. I couldn't see like what she didn't see about how awesome what she does was. But then, you know, I would see her come home crying or sitting in the driveway and she wouldn't know that uh, I was observing. And it, it was a hard time for her back then in the Navy. You know, you talk about Lonnie about being in a male dominated field. It was even more so, um, you know, when my mother was going through and I just remember her just, you know, coming in, face all red, eyes all shiny, smiling, putting on her game face and going right to town with six kids, you know, homework, meals, whatever. And she just powered through it. She was just, she was a rock. She was a powerhouse. She wasn't very soft. You know, we talk about um, the characteristics you develop, you know, in the military. And um, and that was okay, though, because she showed her love in other ways. And anyways, so that was, this was the role model that I had, the lifestyle. We traveled all over the place. I loved it. My siblings didn't do so well with the traveling. I loved it, mm. but I'm also loud and outgoing and they are not. So of course I had different impact on my siblings. Um, so I just, I've always loved the lifestyle. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, in regards to being a woman myself, like in how that, um, that affected me, I didn't really think too much of it. Like Lonnie was saying, I'm also very tomboyish. I just, I've never met a stranger. I just enjoy people. So when I joined the military, Right all right away in boot camp is when I really noticed that differentiation between males and mm. women and how they see. And I it was kind of a culture shock for me because I just never really mm. saw myself like I, you know, being a woman wasn't my identity. Like this wasn't who I was. You know, it just happens to be part of me, but like not a thing. And so you don't really see that until you get into boot camp. And you have that segregation, and then just the behaviors of the women right off the bat was so freaking annoying because we had a a male RDC brand new to that that job our female chief that was supposed to be guiding him was on chief select where they do all those uh initiation into the chief's mess or whatever so she's okay. always gone and so he was left there by himself and we had another male chief who was going through a divorce and hated women so he was always drunk and just a mess so this poor newbie um first class just let these women walk all over him they cry they whatever they get out of doing work and it seemed to be like a pattern i noticed not just right off the boot camp then you see it in it a school, you saw it at your next duty station, you saw it overseas where these women could manipulate men with their with certain, you know, crying or whatever that you know your male car your male counterparts wouldn't have gotten away with and they didn't get away with. And so that created a rift for me and, and a, just a bad taste in my mouth from the get-go. Um I'm trying to think of uh where else Lonnie, um, what did you say about <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying you can't to steal answers. I don't remember. I mean, no, I'm no. trying to think back the angle you were going, right? No, I'm not trying to steal answers, but uh, just I want to make sure I'm hitting the same point. No, no. Right? Yeah. So, no, it's um. so I, I guess the only other piece I would ask is 
did you find that you became, let's, for lack of a better term, more in touch with your femininity through the military or were you suppressing anything or did it, was there a whole nother side of you, a whole other color palette that kind of came out when you got out because you hadn't kind of been fully operating as let's say a self-actualized, fully realized person in the military or, or not? Were, were you like, nope, I, I was who I was before I was who I was during and I was who I was after. Right. So like, like Lonnie, um, it really became hard for me when I went to Afghanistan with the 22nd U, um, and we, I went out as a female searcher um, and being a female out there, because that's why they had us out there. So we could, you know, win the hearts and minds of the locals by adhering to the customs and courtesies and just feeling, um, I felt very threatened at times as a female I, that I had never felt, especially in the field, right? Like you're on deployment, you're out in the middle of the doggone boonies mountains of Afghanistan. I had two guys try to sell me for uh, two camels, a goat and a Persian rug with the ANA. They thought that was funny. They get the ANA thought they were serious. Like there was a lot of just moments that were very intense. And um, I don't think I've ever felt threatened before in my life. And I don't like being vulnerable. Mm. So even though like I knew like the men I was with were qualified and I would trust them with my life, I don't know if I'd necessarily want to be left alone in the dark with a bunch of people. You know, I always felt scared to walk the base. You know, they always give you these briefings, at least for our group. I can't speak for everybody else, but about like, do not be alone. You know, have your weapon on you at all times. Like, and just, oh, sorry, dogs kicking my table. Um, I, so that was just hard. So I was just feeling that threat. Like I didn't ever feel that before, but it was as because of I was a woman. These are the things I had to consider. And I just... I kind of resented that. But, um, and when I got out, I had a hard time transitioning to the civilian sector because other women didn't relate to me um, in, the, in the civilian sector. Um, I'm really rough. Like, I'm trying hard not to cuss. Like, I, you know, no, you, you can curse. So it's fine. <laughs> so, but, you know, taking that, even just that type of, you know, conversational style is, is hard to relate to, to civilians. Um, either my husband's active duty. So, um, trying to relate to other wives was very challenging. We just, I didn't have a lot to connect with. And so I still, even now we're talking, I got out in 2005. Like, I just don't have a lot. I can relate to other women. Wow. So I struggle. Yeah. Um, Dex, let me, let me go to you. So we make sure we get your story out also uh, before I dive in deeper to this. Um, yeah. How about you? Um, I mean, I guess it's going to sound like the same story. I mean, there's a specific type of woman generally who joins the military. And I think, um, yeah, growing up, like I, I don't know, I grew up very religiously conservative. And uh, so those little tomboy qualities, um, I think I was only really allowed to have because my father doesn't have a very good connection with my two older brothers. Um and I was the one that was enthusiastic and wanted to do the things that my dad wanted to do with, you know, a boy. So I, I got to do those things and I got to kind of explore being a little rough and, you know, playing sports and, and doing some things. Um, but I mean, even still, like my mother wouldn't allow me to do things like play football or you know, go join the wrestling team and, and all that. So I was kind of limited into this like you can kind of be a tomboy as long as you don't cross this line. Um, and then especially when I, when I got older and I started dating and I went to college, um, I was really expected to do uh, those traditionally feminine things. 
So when I was like, hey, mom, dad, uh, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. They weren't very happy. I mean, they they hung my boot camp picture up on the wall and everything. And, you know, they're like, oh, we're so proud. But they thought it was a phase. Mm. And uh, and here I am in my basement bedroom with my wall flag and I'm wearing my Johnson 1918 hoodie. And, you know, it's it's not a phase. And my parents kind of always felt that way. Um, and I don't know. I don't think it really put me in touch with my femininity. I think it caused me to explore like what about me is actually feminine. Yeah. But I would say like, I'm like in touch with it. Like I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm a woman. And this is all like really cool. Like, <laughs> right. I've never thought about myself in those terms. And, you know, I didn't join the military to break a glass ceiling or to, to prove right. people wrong. I joined because this is what I wanted to do with my life. And even still after, you know, getting out, doing very female centered things like having children. I, uh, I still want to go back in and those reasons for joining are even stronger now than they were before. And I guess for me, wanting to be in the military in this environment has nothing to do with me being a woman um, and everything to do with my desire to serve and, and my love for the organization and my love for um, in some ways that lifestyle so, so, so let me, let me follow up with you then, Doug. So how much is, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, how much is the acknowledgement of a female soldier, Marine, airman, sailor, whatever, um, as a female, a hindrance? Is it, is it, is the, it sounds like none of you were going in thinking of yourselves primarily as like your gender. You were going in thinking mostly of you know, you were forward looking, you were thinking of the mission or the things you wanted to accomplish or, or, or some forward objective. You weren't necessarily engaged in a lot of self-reflection. So how much does the military need to cater to someone based on their gender? Is that a hindrance or is it a help? Okay. So I actually have a really good answer for this. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's because of the way that I look back on my service when I was in, um, and I would define it as painfully average. Um, the unfortunate part is it was painfully average for female. Um, since getting out and wanting to re-enlist, I have had to face some things about getting back in shape, which have been harder because I'm almost 30. But it's I've also had to realize, like, okay, so I knew what people thought of me back then, and I would chop off my left leg so that they don't think that about me in the future, because I would never want to go back in and be thought of as the one who's the slowest in the run, can't lift as much weight as, you know, just the next guy up, like being able to pull my own weight and then pull the weight of the dude next to me is kind of the requirements of the job that I want to do. And I don't think I was there while I was in. And I wish that First off, I wish that we'd had a gender neutral PT standard because it would not have allowed me to be so average um, because you can't look at people and expect that uh, everyone is going to be an overachiever. Um, that's just not the nature of a volunteer force. People are going to join. They're going to meet the standard and that's all that they're ever going to do. Um, and that's going to be the majority of your force. You're going to have a lot of people who do want to be better. But if you have a standard, that's what you have to expect out of someone. Sure. So want people to meet a higher standard like if you want women in the infantry to perform a little bit higher 
make it a gender neutral standard and they'll meet the standard. It's not the Olympics. They'll get there. So I think for me, like I, it was a hindrance because they expected less. And I wasn't, I didn't like, uh, I didn't swear with that when I went in, I was like, okay, this is the standard. Like I just, I meet everything. I'm good to go. But then, you know, people are still going to, as long as that female standard is lower than what the male standard is, they're always going to look at you as someone who's performing less, whether I'm actually performing better than that standard or not, they're going to look at me and think, well, you don't really have to do this. Like you can get by with less. Right. So then Lori, what about the difference? What about being treated just differently? Maybe not better or worse, maybe not held to a different standard, but I'm thinking of things and this sounds like cartoonish, but I mean, even something as, as simple as when you're forward deployed, you know, there's female shower time. And if there's only one female on the fob, well, she's going to have her own shower time and all that. Does that, I mean, obviously there's incredibly practical reasons why that's necessary and, and kind of uncontroversial, but is it, is there always a danger to single out a person based on their gender or, or not? Or is it like, no, we're, we're, you know, different people and, and there are going to be different needs and all that. And that's something we should, the military should take into account. Um, I definitely think there's different needs, obviously, like, you know, just down to the basics of human anatomy right? <laughs> and the right. things, you know, how women function. And uh, for me, that came into play when we did get sent out to the field. It was supposed to be a 10 day op turned into 53 days. And it was, it was amusing trying to watch the uh, CO and, um, the first sergeant debate who was going to call in for feminine hygiene products. <laughs> and the first sergeant told the CEO to go, you know, eat a dick. He's not doing it. So that was quite interesting um, just for them to navigate that and how it was going to be done. But um, in regards to like the threat, like I had never experienced that until I went greenside until I was deployed. Like that wasn't even like a thing to me. And as well as like holding my own, like um, Dex was saying, just the same standards. I'm not gonna lie. I, you know, I came from Blue Side Hospital, went labor and delivery, <laughs> went to field med, was not prepared to go there. It's like another boot camp, right? Yeah. For training um, for field medicine. And then and I thought the whole time I was there, oh, I'm a woman. I'm never gonna have to learn this stuff. You know, like how you mm-hmm. do the signals for SWAT formations and, you know, all these other things. I'm like, learned it for the test and data dumped it. So when I did have to go on patrol with the Marines, you know, mountains, Afghanistan, they're doing all their little hand signals. I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm trying to, <laughs> okay, right. where I'm at the back, where do I go? Let's see where they're breaking apart. Like just trying to wing it. Like I look like a fool um, because I didn't have that same expectation. Like Dex was saying that same standard. Like, so I did let stuff slide. I mean, I don't want to present myself as a scumbag. I wasn't, I did do a good job. I love the military, but because that expectation wasn't there, I didn't reta- I didn't take it seriously. And so when I did get thrown into the mix, I was like, holy hell, I am not prepared for this. I was more of the comic relief for the group than I was like a real uh, asset, you know? Thank God I was there as just, you know, the female searcher because I was like, hell, I would have been a disadvantage to this group yeah. of, or the company or squad or whatever that got stuck. You know, I should say they got stuck with me, but, you know, that I went out with, I just was not prepared um, for that. That, that makes sense. Lonnie, how about you? I mean, obviously you're part of a FET team, so I'm assuming tactically you were feeling probably not too insecure, right? 
I only felt insecure because I was surrounded by so many women when I was with FET because uh, uh, we, because it was a broken sisterhood. I was that person. I always, I knew what the standards were for women. Uh, I was in a maintenance platoon, so I was pretty much surrounded mostly by men. There were a couple of women. So I held myself to their standard because I wanted to kind of get lost in the mix. I wanted to blend in. I knew if I didn't fall out, if I was still doing push-ups when they're doing push-ups, they would learn to ignore me and see me as one of their brothers. And they did. But what happened was I lost my sisterhood. So when I got put in something like FET, I was an outsider because I would look like a man because I had always been seen with them. I'd always bonded with them. So I had no bond with the women. And so there was a rift on the opposite end. So I had succeeded in finding my place with the guys, but I lost it elsewhere. So, okay. There's no way I can not dive into that. So let's, <laughs> let's dive into kind of the, the, the lag, or I think you put it perfectly, a, a broken sisterhood. Let's dive into what that looks like and why that exists in your experience. What, 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 what did I that think, mean? Yeah. What was that about? What I think that was, was that we understood we were seen as the weak link. We were seen uh, when a guy messes up in the military, it's on him. When a woman messes up, it's on all women. You screw it up for everybody, even if they haven't joined yet. Like it's just seen, it just gets stashed away in the stereotype file. And so I think we work really hard to kind of overcome those stereotypes. I think some of us see it as a problem to be associated with other women because women are seen as drama. So you have to kind of can't get, you know, too close to them because then the guys are going to think I'm that. And so you're working really hard to change an image that has been in place for ever. And so I think what happens is you just kind of create these little, uh, there's some women that go in and they kind of hold on to the high school vibe and mm. you can't sit at our table and, uh, they have the sisterhood. They don't care about being seen as one of the guys. And so it, it works for them because they have each other. But if you really want to just be, I wanted to just be a soldier. I didn't want to be a woman soldier, male soldier. I just wanted to be a soldier. And right there, that was an issue because to be that you you have to pick a side and that goes towards the male side. Cause you're just trying to do what you're expected to do. Just do your job. And the women see that as that's a threat. You're not in our, like at our table, you're not in our club. And so it's just. So what concessions, <laughs> what, what concessions would they expect for you to fit in? Would you have really had to be a chameleon and be one kind of person with the guys and one kind of person with the women to make that work? Or w- what's the concession that you have to make? I mean, it feels like, I mean, with the guys, it's just like, just don't make us pick up your slack right. and you're going to be good. So on the guy side, it was actually simple. It's just like, just do the damn thing. You know, don't make me carry your ruck, carry your shit. If you want to bring it, carry it with the women though. It's like, let's go get our hair done. And it's like, I don't really want to do that. Okay. You're out of our group then. Cause you think you're better than us. It gets complicated on that side. Like it does not take much to already be like, oh, so you think you're better than me or you don't this or that or whatever. And so the women, they, we tore each other apart, like, and the sad thing is it creates those stereotypes that the guys see and they see the drama and they see the riffs and all this stuff. And so we actually do ourselves a disservice by acting like that, thinking that we're being tough. Look, I'm embracing the masculine side. I'm good now. I'm a soldier, but we really screw each other over. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I guess I, 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 I want to dive into the problem more than the pres- prescription, but maybe I'll dive into the prescription a little bit. What's the, off the top of your head? Is there a fix or what would, what could have been done differently to make that dynamic different as far as you could tell? I mean, the fix seems simple. It's like, just be better to each other, but it's like not that simple. And right. so it's one of those things where it's, you have to let go of a lot of even just like society's view of stuff, like going to the military and having a problem with women. That wasn't new to me. I had experienced that my whole life because of being a tomboy. I was always seen as an outcast by other women. And so it just carried over when I went to the military. And so I don't really, women kind of have, even in business outside the military, have this tendency to, as you get higher up, you kind of leave the women behind you behind because it's just, you focus on yourself a little bit more and trying to prove stuff. And so I feel like the fix, I mean, it's an easy fix, but it's not like the idea around it's easy, but I don't think it's going to change, especially as more women enter the military. I think it might get worse. So Lori, let me ask you, what was your experience with, let's call it for lack of a better phrase, the broken sisterhood or toxic femininity or whatever we want to call it. Did you have experience with that? Was that your read as well? Or what was your experience like? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. You see, I was like shaking my head the whole time. Like, yeah, I get it, Lonnie. Exactly. (laughs) You know, Um, it absolutely was. I had a very hard time um, connecting with other women. I, because I just was in there to do a job. I just like, I don't know if it was that Talani, but what, I, I just came to be a soldier. I just came to serve my country. Like I really, that was my ideal too. I loved it. I just enjoyed being where I was doing my best, not being the weakest link. I mean, it was just so funny that everybody keeps saying that because that is absolutely the refrain you tell yourself. You can't be the weakest link. You can't, even in the field, we were hopping from freaking mountain range to mountain range and there's nobody to come get you. This is not like a, a base hike. You know, you have to get from point A to point B. You had, you had an objective. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot be the last one in line. Um, but the other women, I, I'm trying to like, how do I really gracefully say these right. type sure. of things? Um, cause I'm not trying to offend, but, <laughs> but listen, sometimes you just, yeah, you got to call it out, it's, whatever it's it just is. A poisonous, it's just a poisonous group. And sometimes, you know, you have about the women who come in with not the same goals and objectives who have not the same mindset, you know, they want to be catered to and babied and they don't mind letting other people do their work uh, and they try to look for ways out. And that could be just uh, like um, anybody, like you have your, your scumbags, you know, right. both sides. But right. when you are a female and you are doing that, it absolutely reflects on every woman. It just does. And I don't know if there will ever be a way of, of fixing that, but it is so frustrating when you have people working like yourself, working so hard to like make sure you were never seen that way and that you were always doing your best and that you suck stuff up sometimes that maybe you ought not to, you know, this it's a highly charged, um, sexually charged atmosphere. It just is with the dirty jokes, with the nicknames, just whatever. It just that's just the environment. And sometimes it can go a little far. And you just bite your tongue because you don't want to seem like sensitive. You don't want to be dramatic. You don't want to fit into that. That oh, here we go. Right. Or is in her feelings. Um. And so you just either give it back just as dirty, or you just blow it off, or whatever, just so you don't come across as, um, in a negative light to, to the guys, you know, well, let me, can I kind of drill down on that for a second? Cause I think right. that's an interesting point. Um, so to me, 
it, it, sitting back now with the benefit of a little bit of perspective, it seems to me like any kind of austere situation where there's stress induced both internally and externally, everyone's going to resort to their coping mechanisms. And for guys and especially younger guys, um, yeah, that's going to be sex or sexual jokes or, or jokes in general. And for some people that turns into gallows humor, uh, for some people it's dirty jokes, whatever. Um, I, I don't know if that can be, and I'm not saying anybody's suggesting this, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure that can be socially engineered out, but for you, Lori, in your experience, what was your, if, if in your perfect world, how would you cope? What are you, what are your cope? What would your coping mechanisms have been in those kind of situations? So honestly, I just gave it back just as dirty. Like mm. I didn't have a problem you. until it worked for me, but yeah. I know it didn't work for other women. Like um, I think women struggle. Like there was a big issue when the guys were uh, like on like, one of the fobs, they had a list of women. Like, I didn't know. I didn't, I wasn't there at the fob very long. I really was out to deal with the guys. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, when I came back to the fob and they had like the list of women who'd be banging at the fob and then the, you know, one through 10, one through 15 that, you know, that was the hottest. You know, that, that caused a massive uproar, um, you know, um, when they, the guys would think it was funny to have our, like our interpreter, we all call him Alex. That was the name he was given, uh, come and ask me questions about sex or whatever, because they thought it would be funny to have, you know, this local man talk with a woman about this kind of stuff. And it was so awkward for both of us and they would just laugh. And I'm just like, you know, it's whatever. I'm not going to make it a thing. And I just roll with it. And for the most part, it was fine. But like I said, a lot had happened during the deployment and stuff that I felt vulnerable and kind of scared. And I was out of my element, whereas I'd never felt that way before, uh, you know, in my military career. So it just was a strange place to be. And not only that, like, I don't know about Lonnie, but I didn't have any training before I went out with the guys. Like they said, okay, hey, we're in Kandahar. Guess what? We need 12 females. You guys are going out as female searchers. Here, here's how you do a credit card swipe. Yeah. Okay, cool. You guys are going out tomorrow. Like it was very like it was just felt like a mess, and I was lost and never knew what was going on. It was just very scary. So I was just out of my element. But going back to what you're saying about the sexual charge, it didn't really bother me. Um, I just I just didn't feel safe. Um, so, but I mean, to that, then. yeah. So to that point, though, what would have made you feel safe? Uh, and and I'm not saying that with any kind of English on the spin. I mean, like legitimately, like. Uh, what would have been a good, what would be your preferred coping mechanism? Or, or do you know, is it tough to speculate now this many years later? Well, it would have been nice if you had, if we had a, ch- a chance to do the workups with the guys. Like I, mm. I had no trait, like I even got pulled on the mule last night. So the female that I was replacing had uh, like a, some uh, ovarian cancer or something. So I got, I never did any of the workups for the mule. I never did any, yeah. you know, uh, sure. operations with the guys from the, like the company, like one six had never deployed with females. You know how it is. Like everybody yeah. trains, 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 trains. You have your own way of doing things. You don't even need speech sometimes. You know, I didn't even know who was in charge of the, you know, of the squat. Like it was just such a mess. So that just having beforehand known what was we were expected to do, having at least some training, maybe even knowing some people. And then when we did go out with the gentlemen, because they never deployed with women out in combat situation. They didn't want to talk with us. They didn't know how to talk with us because they're grunts. Like what's their experience with women? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's just this complete divide and just feeling so isolated and alone. And and that would just have helped. So again, more just training, more communication. What is the expectation? 
what is the mission? What is our goals? Like, we just like, Hey, you sit there until we call you. Yep. Yeah. Shared, and, shared sweat equity does a lot to kind of heal over riffs and personality traits and sometimes bring them to the forefront, but it helps to sweat together and, and work together and kind of you know, bond and have that bond mm. in place. hundred percent Dex. Um, talk to me about your experience with that with, let's start with the, um, broken sisterhood thing. What was your experience now suddenly being lumped in as a female Marine? Yeah. So, uh, my first experience with, um, the sisterhood. So I get through boot camp. we go to, um, and the Marines do, uh, for anyone in a non-combat MOS, it's called MCT, um, or basically in any non-infantry MOS, it's called MCT is Marine combat training. And so we do that for a month and then we go to MOS school and uh, in MCT, it's uh, it's all co-ed. So it's the first time all the guys and girls have been together for training. And I mean, everybody's kind of flirting. They're all like, you know, all these dudes haven't seen a girl in like three, four months. And they're like, oh, wow, you guys are disgusting, but you're hot. And it's, <laughs> it's weird. And I mean, for some people, I mean, for me, I it's the first time like dudes had really paid me real attention. And I was like, what's going on here? And, you know, I also looked disgusting. Like I cannot believe that anyone was checking each other out in that situation because we were so gross. Um, but you know, for the first time there was like this real competition. Um, and it was this sexually charged competition that was really uncomfortable. And, um, the instructors kind of fed into it. They, they would make jokes about, you know, the students like checking each other out or whatever. And so for the first time, that was kind of an element of my life and I wasn't used to it and I didn't know how to handle it. Um, and I guess just an MCT, it was a little weird. And then when I got to the schoolhouse, um, this was an MP and we went to Fort Leonard Wood and, and the school for that is about three months. And there was, I had female instructors in the MP schoolhouse and, you know, I have nothing bad to say about them. They were all actually really wonderful women. Um, but there was a female sergeant that was part of the Marine Corps detachment there. And she was not part of the MP school, but she was part of somebody else's. And we had an incident at the barracks and they were pulling people out for formations. Um, but the MP group wasn't a part of it. And I come back and all the other girls, this female sergeant had taken it upon herself, um, to pull all the girls in the barracks out. So you had units meeting together. Our unit had taken care of our stuff, but she decides because all the females are in their own barracks together, she's going to handle all the females herself. Mm -hmm. So she pulls all the women out in this formation and I'm coming back from, you know, hanging out with friends. We've gotten done for the day. I come back and I'm wearing like cute clothes. Like this is the first time I've ever been really in shape in my life. And I'm like, Oh, I can wear like the hot pants. I can wear the heels. Like I look like a woman and I feel great. And I mean, for the record, like, I mean, it never matters what you're wearing, but what I was wearing was like actually fairly conservative. I mean, I'm wearing long pants. It's the winter time. I'm not like walking around in a mini skirt and crop top. Right. But she sees me walking past and she pulls me out in front of all of these other women. And she's like, hey, I just want you guys to know, like, she's got her arm around me in front of this formation. And she's like, 
we had this incident where a girl got assaulted by somebody lately. And I just want you ladies to know that you're walking around here looking like this and you're expecting these guys not to look at you. And I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, and how on earth am I supposed to say anything? And this is a woman. This is a female sergeant. And I'm like a PFC. Right. And this, and she's saying this to me. And later on, she got called out by, a by my, my leadership. Cause we told them the next day, we were like, this was totally not cool. And, um, and partly because she was trying to wrap me up into this formation, but you know, the other part is just, that's what she said. And that attitude really stuck with me. And it, I didn't know quite what to make of it at the time. And it took a little while before I, you know, continued in my career and I got to know these other women and I got to know this attitude a little bit better. And it just, it was so sad that that's how she felt about herself as a woman, that she had to project that onto someone else. And that attitude is really pervasive. Um, and as an MP, I had to work with men constantly. And we had like a number of women in the MP field, I think it was almost a little unique because you had like administration jobs where there's generally a lot more women in there. And then you have, you know, the, the closer you get to combat, the less women there are. Um, but the MP field had a significant number of women, or at least my units did, um, in Japan and then even in Pendleton. Uh, and so there was always other girls there and there wasn't like, I mean, there were, there were moments when I was the only female in the platoon, mm-hmm. but there were always other women in the company. And you got along with them. Sometimes, uh, but not always. And I think it really took, um, it takes maturity out of everybody. And it definitely took it out of me before I finally started to grow up and realize that I had a say in this sisterhood and that I, I could change some things, at least for myself. You you can never change like somebody else. If they're going to be, um, if they're going to be a bitch, they're going to be a bitch, but I could change it for me and I could choose to not gossip about somebody. And I could choose not to judge them as harshly because I did, you know, um, I did in those first few years and it really took, I think, until I got to Pendleton and until I, which was my second duty station. And until I, um, I started feeling more comfortable with myself as a Marine in general, before I started to think like, okay, this is a, this is a real problem and it's not okay for us to treat each other this way. It's not okay for us to let the dudes treat other women this way. And I kind of had to pull my head out of my own ass Yeah. and saying, all right, you know what? When I hear you gossiping about, you know, my sisters, I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to tell you to shut the fuck up. And, and when I started doing that, I started to feel better about it. And it didn't like change the problem for, for some of these women, but it, it changed it for me and it helped me see women differently. And so when I went to a new unit or a new platoon, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm going to try really hard not to just judge you. Um, because there were women that came in and they, they had all their, their hair done and their nails done and they, would wear makeup all the time. And, and I kind of had to find the balance between like, okay, am I going to assume that she's a pick me girl and she's just here for the attention? Or am I going to choose to assume she is here to do her job and treat her that way until she shows me differently? 
So if, if we had, if I looked for just the bumper sticker kind of lesson learned in your experience, it was not judging people right off the bat and giving them time and being, and looking for ways to be that voice of reason and not get co-opted by the lure of sisterhood or something. Is that kind of a, a general? Yeah, definitely. And I, it I mean, a while, it took a while to, to get into that mindset and to really commit to being that way. Lori, what about you? What, what, if you could go back now, what would you have done differently? How could you have handled, um, not, and, and I understand like without a train up and all that, that's outside of your control, but within your span of control, what could have been different to, um, not just make the deployments easier and all that, but even to feel more part of, um, I guess really the sisterhood let's, let's, let's leave the, the men out of it for the time being, but just, um, to go, yeah, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable if I'm with guys and I'm comfortable with, uh, when I'm with women, um, is there anything you could have done that you look back on or like, yeah, I should have done that differently. <laughs> so yes. Um, yes, I could have tried to talk more one-on-one with women. I didn't, I just would get frustrated and I would want nothing to do with them. Mm. Um, because I just, I couldn't relate. And I, and instead of trying to work through that, you know, you know we talk about communication being a big deal. I just didn't. I'm like, no, nope, it's not worth my time. You know, nope, you, I, I pegged you as this type of person and I don't want to associate with that because I don't want to be seen that way too. But I, again, the judging, I didn't know that as a fact, I just assume these things based upon how you behave in the situation or how you appeared this way. But when you're young and if you're not taught like good communication skills, that's hard and right. you don't even necessarily know you're lacking those things, right? Right. right. Uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. But that was massive. Is how do you handle conflict? You know, men seem to be blessed in that you guys could like pick fights. You know, call each other the worst names. Hell, you can even have like a physical row, and be good to go the next day. Like you come to some type of understanding, you work through it. When women fight, it tends to be held onto. Like there's this grudge, and it can be nurtured and, and grow, but it doesn't ever seem to go away. Um, that has been my experience. I'm totally generalizing. But it just you, doesn't, even if you do try to talk through it, it's like, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. It, but it's like very phony. It's like, it just, I don't know. I'm going to hold on to that. And I'm going to hold that against you forever. And let's pray we don't meet up like five duty stations down the road because I'm going to yeah. remember, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That um, makes a ton of sense. Is, yeah. Right, so I, I hear my husband, I hear my husband tell stories. I'm like, there's no way that would have flown with some chicks, you know, if we'd had this type of situation. Maybe and I'm jealous of that. Maybe we should just resolve our problems, just start punching each other in the face more often. (laughs) Right? Like, if we just had it out, I just feel like that would be good to go. It's funny. I mean, um, so I was thinking of, um, I am by no stretch of the imagination a psychologist, but I'm interested in psychology in the brief moments that it crosses my path. And I know that that's supposed to be one of the major differences psychologically between your average, you know, meaty part of the bell curve female and your meaty part of the bell curve male is the degree of agreeableness that men are infinitely less agreeable again by median by average um than than females and it's funny how that lack of agreeableness can be a positive trait in the military in ways that it may not be in the civilian world but i don't know lonnie i mean what do you think um about fixes and and looking back and things you could have done differently if anything 
I mean, I wish I didn't play into the game of feeling like I had to give it back to the women that gave me a hard time where I, I turned into one of the guys in terms of like, I'll give you some vulgar comments. We'll all call each other sluts. We're all going to uh, pass it around that, you know, the gossiping and stuff like that. I wish I didn't play into it, but I was very bitter towards women very early on in the military because uh when I got to my first duty station within my first month of being there, I was sexually assaulted and the women took it and ran with it and told everybody I became the whore of the cavalry because of something that happened. And so I remember just holding on to that, like, how dare you not be my sister right now? And so looking back, yeah, I can say I wish I was nicer, but I know why I was so mean. Sure. And so had that gone different, I would have been more warm towards like, I'll get to know you. I won't judge a book by its cover. I'm not going to just assume we're all sluts because the guys say so. But I had to not have that experience for me to have been open to that. And so a lot of things had to have changed. I just wish we could have been a little bit more of a team. And yeah, it would have been nice if we could have slugged it out a few times. Like if I could have punched someone in the face and then we went and got chow after, like it probably would have gone a lot better. But we hold on to those grudges and they build over years and years. And I deployed with the same women that gossiped about me. So it was like, now I'm in a combat zone with you and I know you'll let me die. You've made it clear you would let me get shot and you would leave me out there. And so that was the stuff I dealt with. And so, you know, in reality, there wasn't going to be any fixing that. That was too deep. And so some of the things we do to each other. And so I just wish we had a better concept of each other, maybe a little more uh, confidence, a little less insecure about like, just where we fit in so we don't take it out on each other and make it worse for each other. And I really think the big thing is not playing into what the guys are already doing. There's already enough crudeness and like lewd jokes going around. Like we don't need to add to it. We don't need to make it worse for each other. The guys are going to do plenty of that on their own. We don't need to add. Well, that's a great point. So I want to, I want to piggyback that into, um, one of the things I talked to you guys about before the show, a potential line of questioning about um the role of the feminine in the military so i mean besides jocking up besides you know um you know making sure that you know you're not the weakest link blah 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 is there a role for feminine qualities in the military is there a role for um you know greater patience greater understanding um caring nurturing any any quality that's traditionally associated with femininity what do you think lonnie Absolutely. I mean, what I was seen as, or what it's seen as a weakness, the sensitivity, the nurturing, stuff like that coming in the military, that played to my benefit in places like Afghanistan when I'm sitting in a guard tower with someone for eight hours and they're having a breakdown and they feel like they can talk to me because I'm a woman. I'm not going to judge them like they're buddies. I'm not going to call them names over. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to listen. And a lot of the guys I was with, I had that bond because I was kind of like the mother because I joined a little later. And so they came to me with all their problems and I would sit there with people saying, I want to die. And I would sit there and just be like, here's what I can offer you. And just like, I'm not going to get hate for hugging someone or patting you on the back or whatever. You know, I'm not going to, the guys always go like, Oh, that's gay. If they're doing the whole thing, but it's like when you're a woman and you come in, you can offer all that and be a comfort in a really chaotic spot. And so I feel like there are times when that nurturing is desperately needed because we shit on our mental health constantly in the military. And that idea, you can't go to behavioral health. If we can't go to behavioral health, 
then you have to have those people in your platoon or your squad company, whatever, that you can go to and have that special kind of bond with to nurture anything and bring some balance to really screwed up times and environments. It's well said and well-reasoned. I, I, I can absolutely see that. What about you, Lori? What do you think? Lonnie, I love talking after you. I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I successfully hit on the nurturing aspect too. When I recently met up with another guy from one six on Facebook, thank God for social media, right? You just, you can connect with all kinds of people. And uh, he had told me, you know, I just want to say, Doc, you know, you were so cool. I just really, I'm like, what? Like, cause I always think of myself as Gomer Pyle. Like when I think about my time out with the guys, I'm like, I'm so glad that, you know, you didn't have the same opinion. Like I just felt like I was a mess. He's like, no, he's like, you were just so nice. He said, um, you were always smiling, even in these tough situations. And he's like, and you just, you didn't, you just made us feel good. And I, I, it was such a massive, it made me tear up. It was such a massive compliment. Um, because here I, I was so focused on just being one of the guys and just, you know, replicating what they were doing. I didn't even notice the things I was doing differently and how that stood out in a good way. Well, don't get me wrong. I was terrible with them. It was awful. I didn't have glasses. So I kept calling everybody like, honey, baby, darling, whatever, because I couldn't see their names or whatever. <laughs> and I get yelled at for that. It was very unprofessional. But when they weren't feeling good, say they're puking in the field, you'd be hydrating. Like, okay, baby, I got you. You know, I got you. <laughs> it made them feel good. Like a touch of home, like a sister or whatever, you know. And I really did care. And I was trying to take care of them. And it had nothing to do in any other way just about treating a human in their hour of need. And I would absolutely not want to forsake that for anything. And I think, you know, I wish guys felt that they could do that with each other sometimes, but it's, they have their own different competitions, their own ways of, you know, trying to hold their own amongst each other. So I love that aspect. I, I appreciate that. I got that feedback and I think there is absolutely a place for that. Uh, mental health is huge. I didn't really discover that until after I'd gotten out and sure. years down the road, got diagnosed with PTSD and I do talk therapy and then group therapy. I've since been with other female service members, whether active duty or veterans. And that bond is, is now present that did not exist when I was in. Yeah. And it's neat looking back older with experience, with hindsight, with shared trauma, not because we were in it together, but we can relate that it's like, okay, you finally see each other as an asset um, in, in, a, in a situation where you did not previously. Um, you know? Yep, absolutely. It, Absolutely. A hundred percent. Dex, what about you? Uh, is there a role for feminine qualities in the military that you see? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything that you two ladies have said. Um, and I guess the thought that I had while, while you were speaking was that there, no one stops women from embracing those masculine qualities that like makes you just an absolute beast because they see like, that's what you have to be to succeed in the military. But there's a lot of men that will stop themselves from embracing what we would consider feminine quality of being compassionate and being nurturing. Um, they stop themselves from developing that. And I think they're doing them a great, themselves a great disservice because as a leader, as somebody's sergeant, fire team leader, platoon sergeant, whatever, as somebody's CO, um, the qualities of compassion and the qualities of nurturing um, are going to make you a better leader. And I think a lot, I mean, just from being a mom, you know, and I have a, I have a son, I have a daughter, they're both really young. Um, but I think to myself about like, when I want to discipline my children, especially because they're so young, there has to be a lot of compassion in there. 
Like they can't escape the consequence of their actions, but I have to teach them in such a way that they still understand that I love them and I'm not taking it personally. And, you know, that's, that's kind of universal for, for both parents, but people typically associate, you know, that nurturing and that compassion with mothers and with women. And if a platoon sergeant were to embrace that, think about how much better he would be as a leader for his whole platoon. Um, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I can absolutely see that. Um, I'm going to ask the final question because we're, as we always do on the show, we're running out of time, but I'm going to ask kind of a really broad, maybe even almost unfair question, but I'll throw it out there to you first Dex. Did your time in the military make you a better woman in whatever way you want to interpret that? A hundred percent. How? the way that I look at myself now, I mean, just personal development. Um, when I look at myself and I, you know, take moments of self-reflection, um, I, I am really proud of the progress that I've made. Um, and I'm really, I can look back and I can say like, I, I am so much more confident and so much more sure of who I am. I think because I spent that time in the military, um, and I know everyone's experience is different and people have different um, moments that do that for them in their life. Um, but for me, I think it, it was being in the military and, and being able to kind of explore and grow all of these different facets of myself. And especially now as I explore what makes me a woman and how I feel about it. But, um, but I am a strong individual and being a strong individual makes me a better woman being, you know, embracing these different qualities and accepting that, you know, I don't have to fit into some worldview of what is a woman that I can embrace, you know, those masculine qualities about myself and I can embrace those feminine qualities and they don't detract from each other. Mm-hmm. That makes me a better woman. And that, I mean, it made me a good Marine and it will make me an even better Marine in the future. Lori, what about you? Are you a better woman for having been in? Absolutely. I would hundred percent agree with Dex. I, um, I feel more confident, even though I, I mentioned just being intimidated and feeling vulnerable, that wasn't the sum total of my experience where it was a select moment in time based upon certain things, but, um, having got out, not just the training as a, as a corpsman, but just the life, the, the travel, the, um, being able to talk with people from so many different backgrounds, so many different cultures, you know, it made you, it broadened my mind and my perspective and having to fight to, um, you know, to be that, how do we phrase it again? Like, you know, not, not that weakest link to try to have a voice in such a male dominated field, like having to really speak up, assert myself, transition into the civilian sector as a mom with two children with disabilities, you have to fight constantly for your kids' needs, whether it's through the Department of Education, insurance, lawyers, doctors, you know, it's very, I don't know if you all know how hard it is to argue with a doctor who has like, you know, has been in school for 12 odd years and, but you know, your child's needs best and having to be like, no, I disagree. This is why I disagree. And being able to articulate that and advocate for your child, it's very hard. But if I had not had that experience with the military, that confidence um, and being able to look through things reason out things and, and just be able to clearly state what the objective is, you know, and, and come out of person. I would not uh, be the person I am today, the mother I am today. Um, 
you know, the caregiver. And so it really made a massive difference for me having had that prior experience. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, Lonnie, how about you? I think the struggles I had in the military, because mm-hmm. it's such a condensed part of your life, like you have so much that happens in that short period. Yeah. Yeah. It was really the transition process from soldier to veteran where I figured out stuff because I hit rock bottom when I got out and being at rock bottom taught me kind of what I, where I made my mistakes, but kind of who I wanted to be when I got out of it. And I think I had a lot more compassion once I got through all that stuff because I had had so many horrible things happen to me and all this, even like MST, domestic violence, all the stuff I dealt with in the military and afterwards, it showed me that I could deal with a lot of stuff and still be a really good person at the end of it and had something to offer people going through hell. I understood Mm. what hell looked like in that I was fully willing to walk through it with somebody else because I'd been there before and I knew it was survivable. And so I think that's really where I as horrible as all the stuff was where I lucked out with the military is I had a lot of horrible things happen, but I had it happen at a time where I had battle buddies and people to help me through it. And so later in my life, like when I feel like, oh, I can't get through this, I just think back, but you know, look what you went through, look what you've already achieved. This is nothing compared to that. And so I think for me, it's been that point to always just look back on to put myself back in the place I need to be to keep pushing is knowing that I can survive this. Would you go through it again? Absolutely. I, I do feel like it's a big part of my life. And so I, I don't really know who I would be without it. Yeah. And I'm pretty happy with who I am and what I've been able to do with it and what I've been able to do for other people. And so I wouldn't take it away. Well, then that's a natural segue for me to ask you about Bottled Away, Lonnie. Tell everybody about Bottled Away. So Bottled Away was a book I released earlier in the year, and it was actually kind of comprised of all my journals and poems and stuff I wrote while I was in the military. And I kept a journal with me on deployment because uh, I did feel like I wasn't allowed to talk because I was trying to be the one of the dudes. And so it was like, I got to keep it to myself. So I wrote a lot, which already kind of, you know, sets you aside because you look like a nerd or whatever, sitting in the corner, like jotting stuff down. But uh, I just put everything in it. And later on, I realized when I thought I had an average experience, like there was nothing to talk about, I realized I had experienced things that people did not understand. They didn't understand the the rifts between uh, women in the service. They didn't understand things like military sexual trauma. They didn't understand even domestic violence in the military. And I had all these things. And I felt like, well, if I don't say it, like it's going to just get lost and maybe it will help somebody. And so at the end of the day, it was like, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to share it. And if it helps at least one person, I feel like I've done my job outside the military to keep helping my battle buddies or other veterans. Lori, tell us about Gift from God. Sorry, I put myself on mute. Um, That was a book (laughs) I'd written. Um, for my son, he told me one day, mom, tell me a story, tell me a story about me. So he has a terminal disability. And I had written a poem for my daughter, like, like long, I like to write, I keep journals. And so this was something I'd written for my daughter in a journal. And when I became a mom, after I got back from Afghanistan, I got pregnant with my daughter unexpectedly. And I was not um, wanting to be a mom. I was terrified because I didn't think I'd be a good mom. And so I, I written this poem. Then after my son, I rewritten it but anywho it just talks about parenting a child with a disability a mother's love and how when faced with a hopeless situation if you can't change their circumstance you change your perspective 
And so that's the gist of it. It's very short. Um, and hopefully there's, I mean, it's, it's uh, non-specific, it's, a, it's unspecified disability because there's a lot of overlap. And um, and hopefully I just want to be support um, to other, in this instance, parents in need, but my writing, whatever I write, whether it's for the Havoc, the Mighty or Aware Now is just to be a support um, and let people know you're not alone and it's okay that life is hard. Life's supposed to be hard, but you know, we can get through it together. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And tell, tell everybody about your cover story for aware the latest episode, the latest issue of aware now. Oh, uh, well, uh, worth emulating is about my mom. I wrote a, a feature, um, for veterans day about my mom. Cause, uh, she doesn't get a lot of acknowledgement. Um, and that's just because she just doesn't talk about herself. And I think it's so important to acknowledge women that have gone before us, their sacrifices, what they do. And I just wanted to um, say that I hope that I, in the story, you know, in this, in this talk about being able to pave the way for my daughter and for those that come after, you know, um, and that's just, just wanting to honor that service because we just don't talk about women in the military a lot. You know, people think there's not a lot to say. There is, but it's, sometimes it's just hard to get going. <laughs> Dex, uh, tell everybody about Patrol Base Abate. Uh, so Patrol Base Abate was started, and actually it's kind of uh, telling. This week is the um, the 11th anniversary of Sergeant Matthew Abate's uh, death. Um, he was killed in action in Afghanistan. Uh, when he was a part of three, five. Um, and he kind of, he's described by his platoon commander um, as a modern day Achilles. Um, and his platoon commander is uh, major Thomas Schumann, um, who's an active duty Marine Corps officer. And he started patrol base Abate to honor uh, this man's legacy. And so the organization is meant for all veterans. Um, it doesn't matter what your service entailed. Um, if you served honorably, you are, this is the place for you. Um, and I, I heard about Patrol Visabate last year and I joined immediately when you, it was available to join. Um, and I went on one of their retreats. I didn't expect them to have them so soon, but they started hosting um, in-person retreats at their, uh, I guess, cabin. It's, we don't really use a cabin. We slept out in tents and it's very primitive. Um, but they flew us out there to go participate in this retreat. And the, the organization is kind of based off of interest groups. So you can join PB Abate and then you can kind of join these, you know, different clubs. They have the regional chapters, which are kind of uh, blossoming now that there's enough members to do it. But um, when I joined, I decided to, to be a part of the, the book club and the strength club. Um, Cause that's really where my, my big interests are. And I did some virtual workshops with the book club um, who actually hosts monthly book club meetings, but, then I, I went on the retreat with the strength club. Um, and so the strength club captain uh, owns a CrossFit gym out in Joshua tree. And he had, I mean, it was, 
a lot of just like hard, like physical work out there. Um, we did a lot of site improvement at the actual location, but the, uh, the camaraderie and the bond that I felt with the people that went was just life-changing. I mean, there's not a lot of times in my life where I will willingly drink the Kool-Aid, but while I was there, I was like, this Kool-Aid tastes really good. And I'm going to drink it and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to convince everyone that I meet to drink it too. Um, because that's what, that's, that's how it made me feel out there. It was, um, you're not just a dealer. You're also a user. Yes, I am absolutely a user. Um, and I'm definitely a dealer because I came back and I was like, I am going to replicate this environment, um, wherever I'm at. So I, I am the, the captain of a, one of the interest group clubs. Now I, I run the good eats club, um, which is for foodies. So if you like food, you should join it. Um, and then I am also one of the DC chapter heads. So there's two of us. Um, and we're trying to get things going for, for the regional area in DC, but it's, it's a wonderful organization. The spirit, the camaraderie, uh, has been incredible. Awesome. Guys, Lori, Lonnie, Dex, thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. And to everyone else, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. If you're on iTunes, we would deeply appreciate your five-star review because the metrics do matter. Show notes. I will have show notes available at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com or in my accompanying article at Havoc Journal or wherever you're listening to this podcast, just scroll up or down and you will see the show notes as well as any alibis for anything I misstated, misspoke, something I said that needed more context. Uh, that offer also applies to my guests, although generally nobody takes me up on that because I'm the only one that brain farts in a way that seems to require some sort of written alibi. If you care about warriors and artists, Boy, do I have a podcast for you. Savage Wonder is a podcast about warriors and artists. It is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events, which, full disclosure, is my nonprofit. So if you want to hear me conduct one-on-one -on -one long-form interviews with veterans of the military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, intelligence services, or DOD contractors who are also artists, please consider adding the Savage Wonder podcast to your queue. It is always available on all your major podcast platforms, as well as savagewonder.podbean.com. Again, that's savagewonder.podbean.com. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Lori Boutieris, Lonnie Hankins, and Dex. And we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. My, uh, my deployment was pretty bland. I mean, I sat in a guard box most of it. I did like, I sat there, I tallied it in my journal. I did like 600 hours just sitting in a box with some other person just watching goats. That was my <laughs> combat experience. I cannot go to kids. Pound and rippets and hoping. Pound and rippets and hoping nobody hits your box with anything. <laughs> so. But to be fair, none, none of those goats ever actually committed a terrorist act. So you did a whole bunch of preventative work, right? <laughs> <laughs>
We had to send out QRF to get them one time. That was fun. That there was like the, the peak of the, <laughs> the experience. <laughs> I went to the Philippines for a security detail um, for this general. Uh, they were doing a training exercise in the Philippines, which we do every year. But um, we went as his like personal entourage, I guess, um, and to guard like all of their equipment. And this general uh, really liked goats. And his daughter really liked goats. And he was like, there were just like a ton of roaming goats on the Philippine military base. And so we were walking around one day caught me doing like my little patrol and he was like hey Dexter I need you to take a picture of me with these goats <laughs> but general is not, so I took a, a selfie of, of the general with these goats and it was just, I think it was the weirdest thing that has probably ever been asked of me um, just being in the military it was like come take a picture of me with these goats I was like alright sir you, you get whatever you want here so there you go but they were mangy animals. I didn't like them at all. 